Hello, everybody. I hope y'all are doing well today. It is October 29th, 2022. It is a Saturday, and we are about to complete our spooky season upload of episodes for episode 11, Redbird. I hope y'all have enjoyed the episode so far, and I really pray that y'all enjoy the episode dump for this week. And yeah, it's been a real experience um, creating this episode and I'm excited to get into the next episode dump that's going to start next month in November. So yeah, enjoy. Um, If you haven't, you know, make sure you caught up with everything. Although honestly, you really don't have to be absolutely caught up. Um, You can start any episode in any order. It really doesn't matter for real, for real. Um, So, yeah, know that this is going to be a big dump. It's like five sections for this go-round. And um, with this dump, we will also have uploads to YouTube, to the website, character designs, etc., etc., and also some other fun things. So stay tuned and Enjoy the stories. The Mino Diaries, Episode 11, Red Bird, Part 8, The Star Swords. The competition for the Star Swords was held in a wide open room with a raised wooden platform. All around sat the elder demons of the dead city's upper class, fallen angels, the most ancient of vampires, world-destroying extraterrestrials, entities who craved blood and tainted innocence. They all sat around the room, dressed in black, and watched as their own champion stepped to the podium armored and armed. They chose fist warriors. They've chosen fierce spirits, vengeful, war-scarred, highly skilled. The fights began and passed in blurs, as steadily Cleopatra and the three fought with their sacred weapons against the demon's champions. They beat them down every time by the power of true ferocity and the light of their true souls. They fell hard at the arc of Cleopatra's spear, and the frequency of fear permeated from their static forms as they began to step to her, one by one to be knocked down by the might of all her past lives balanced in this one. She was a minnow of House Omoya, with no fear to where she might transition to if she fell, and no doubts that she had the power to, at the very least, leave this horde with violence they would never forget. By her ferocity and calm skill, her name would forevermore make this dark council shudder. The big Oni had watched on as the fights progressed, tensed at the edge of his seat every time Cleopatra or one of the three achieved victory, transitioning to the next round. Her allies were powerful in their own rights. Kiba, with his quick fox reflexes, twisting and turning, slipping in and out of reach, flexible to the ground and through the air, his butterfly knives sliced with utmost efficiency. 
Son Goku's power was felt like a ripple through the whole tower when he stepped onto the floor, adorned for the first time after thousands of years in his true armor of red and gold, with his crimson and gold-gilded staff to match. He was the Monkey King. With power now unsubdued as it had been under the Oni's will, he swung his staff with enough force to crack the floor. One strike landed on his enemies, and every bone in the body shattered like dominoes falling. Then there was Mamusha, wielder of the katana of her fallen husband. She was practical in her movements, hypnotizing in her eyes like a cobra. She made few movements, drawing her sword only at the precise moment that her feet shifted with solid stamps against the wood, and she would cry out like a fish dragon as her sword would gleam at its flashing before blood splattered, and the blood in the blade already returning to its scabbard as her enemy fell. The four of them could not be stopped by the worst the underworld had to offer until after hours of fighting with their muscles sore and their breaths hitching. All that was left to compete were the four of them. Big Oni clapped his hands, slow and resounding. Congratulations. You have all defeated every challenger worthy enough to step within this tower. Now, the question stands, which one of you shall claim the swords? Cleopatra glanced at her allies. At this moment, they all had known was coming, but had not discussed. Fears, anxieties, and doubts naturally passed through the expressions of each. Would Cleopatra keep her word? If one of the three won, would they free the others? Each of them had found themselves bound to this dimension by their pursuits in the world they'd been barred from. They each sought the star swords once, for power, revenge, and grief. Now they were at this precipice again. It was Cleopatra who spoke. The deal between us was that you helped me to retrieve the swords. Well, to rightfully claim them, then I have to win them. Don't I? Fairly. That's the thing to break the Oni's hold, don't you think? To fight me, full might against full might, and win if you can, and honor the loss if you can't, as the three of you didn't before. You want to be free? Cleopatra said, rising to the wooden floor platform, still cracked by Son Goku's staff. Then fight me with everything you have. She knew this was the way, the warrior's way. To feel secure in her passage, she would have to defeat these three beings by her own strength. Only then could she be sure she deserved the honor that might otherwise belong to someone else, someone more worthy. Cleopatra raised her spear for the first of her challenges. Kiba battled her first, then, as ages passed, when he'd attacked Shanak Dekito at the mountain temple. As Cleopatra fought him, she saw his distant past. A young prince, hunting stags on horseback through a green forest, when he came upon a fox with fur golden and shimmering like the sun. He'd strung his arrow in the excitement of the moment, the eagerness to show off his prize to his court, and he fired, sending his arrow into the heart of the vixen, who cried out to the kids who were just on the first day out with their mother in the spring. Too late, 
Prince Kiba realized his error, and the fox's spirit rose from her body, fierce with nine tails of fire, and plunged deep through Kiba's own soul. His form was cursed forevermore, to walk the earth, half human and half fox, to die, one error after another, reincarnated across no less than eight lifetimes of various years, varying years until he could redeem himself by an honorable action. His curse entailed that if he died in his ninth incarnation without achieving redemption, then he would be bound to the fox spirit form for all time with no relief of death. By this eighth life, his spirit had grown bitter with immortality and cruel with mischief. He knew that a high court of firebirds were in search of the star princess's last lost swords, and he set out to find the weapons, to spite the royals and sow chaos through the lands. He found the sword at the same time as Shinnok Dikito, and he fought her for them and was beaten. But he could not accept defeat, and in an act of dishonor, he harmed Shinnok Dikito form with sneakiness and malice and in the ruin of his actions his soul was found and bound by the big oni now he fought cleopatra the ninth incarnation of the kandaki spirit to mirror his own ninth life and by the force of their blows he felt truth pouring into his spirit again the redemption of honor bestowed by cleopatra's powers in battle and his bravery and courage to face it as they fought both for their own desires, but also in support of the potential of each other's destinies, not as hateful adversaries, but as mutually respected opponents. Prince Kiba felt his spirit alchemizing at once, and he began to glow with blue light as the fox ears and whiskers and claws disintegrated and left only was the body of a man, a man who smiled at peace at the mortal blow of Cleopatra's spear before his body turned to glowing embers and free was he at last. Next was Son Goku, the monkey king, whose power was legendary and his wit mighty, but his face and his skin were furred, his mouth big teeth and his ears wide disc like the macaques he was sovereign over. He'd grown up in the jungle kingdom of Sunda, trained by the masters of House of Cobra in the ancient art of combat in the even older philosophies of Warcraft. But still, this being of many talents and victories could not secure the affection of the femme phoenix, princess of the idol islands. She would not see him, not subject her flesh to the press of his primate hands, unless he could accomplish the impossible and retrieve for her the star swords of Nikonakin, so she might use them fiercely in battle with him at her side. It was by this condition that Son Goku embarked on his mission to the mountain temple where he came upon the battle between the fox and the Kandaki. And as soon as the fox fell, Son Goku leapt with his staff crashing down but was outmaneuvered by the prime prowess of the Black Queen, the daughter of the Nile, who walked with the rainbow weaver, cracker of thunder. She pressed his form beneath her heel and demanded his submission, but he too, so distraught with his desperate love for the phoenix who flew high above his reach, betrayed her victory and harmed her form, before he too was found in the ruin of his wrath by the big oni. Now, at the tower, it was Cleopatra he fought, and their collision was at two sons. I'm sorry. Now, at the tower, it was Cleopatra he fought, 
and the collision was as two suns converging and combusting, their fighting styles between spear and staff so similar, but this woman with her darkened skin and amber eyes was strong with some old favor of fate, and she beat him with a slash across his furred throat, and he rested in his defeat, easy as his form transitioned in red embers, freed at last from his heart's longing and suffering. Next was Mamushi, whose life had been faded to intertwine with the others as if written by a poet. She was born to a noble house in the Idol Island Kingdom, who served the house of the Fire Phoenixes most diligently. She was raised up for her beauty and her grace, the subtle pace of her practiced footsteps and soft words. She was a mistress of the arts and quiet knowledge appropriate for women in her time, and in her eyes did a young man of the warrior class find his desire for marriage. He took her hand and made her his wife, and she went to live with him at his own family's estate. But as the Phoenix's dynasty began to unravel, letters traveled by Ravenfeather to her husband's keep and he was called off to war, where he was brought down by his enemies, failing to serve the phoenixes he pledged his sword to. News of her husband's death was brought back to her with his family's sword, with no sons to inherit it, the souls which were claimed by its blade were now hers to mind. In her grief, she fell into heavy drinking, and wandered wobbly to a monastery of nuns, praying and chanting, and one of them was a warrior, who taught her to fight and she renamed herself Mamushi, the Viper, swearing to restore her husband's honor when she caught news that the phoenixes had set out a bounty for the star swords to be returned. By then, she'd shaved her hair, rid herself of her titles and earthly possessions, but she still had the sword. She still felt her husband's spirit restless. If she could just redeem his failure on the battlefield, then she could know without any doubt that he was at peace. So, her own journey brought her also to the mountain where she met the dark-skinned woman who said she was a ruler of a kingdom on the river where they mapped the stars with their prim pyramid temples. They talked and shared their stories and agreed to share the glory that they would each have a blade to keep if they made it back down the mountain together and Mamushi agreed, making the pact. But when the time came, Mamushi thought of her husband and the details of the bounty. How could she bring back just one sword? She told Shanak Dakito she'd changed her mind that the swords would have to be claimed as a pair or not at all. She fought the Kandaki at the mountain temple and she too fell at the blessed woman's spear. But by her grief and fear, it was she who rose with her sword which demanded blood shed at the draw and she took Shanak Dakito's life, regretting it all too late when she... Kiba and Son Goku all fell to each other's desperation and were gathered collectively by the Oni demon to serve as his own coveted assassins and spies for all time. Now, she and Cleopatra fought. With vigor and passion, neither willing to yield, Mamushi still had a husband to redeem, and Cleopatra had a life to reclaim. They battled and both endured cuts and broken bones. They breathed heavy as they faced each other above the blood-stained floor, and Mamushi tightened her grip on her husband's sword. She shifted forward, but one misstep was all it took for Cleopatra to spin and change her spear back to its dagger form, and through a chink in Mamushi's armor was the dagger plunged. Mamushi's face was close to Cleopatra's at this last moment as she looked in Lamino's eyes. She said she was sorry for her ancient betrayal, 
Cleopatra insisted. All was forgiven by the truth of her mirrored ferocity in this very battle. Mamushi placed the hilt of her sword in Cleopatra's hand, insisting that her husband's alum be passed to a worthy owner before reminding Cleopatra that its, demanded, that its blade demanded life at the draw. Cleopatra stepped back, and with a swift and skillful cut, she severed Mamushi's head from her shoulders, and her form, too, shifted in green embers, free at last. Cleopatra stood there, breathing hard, with blood on her hands. She rose Mamushi's sword to where the big Oni sat watching her. The star swords. Hand them over, she said, and the big Oni didn't protest as she stepped forward. The demons who gathered to watch the battles cowered from her steps. The big Oni, unhappy about losing his would-be slaves, handed over the case grudgingly. Cleopatra was just about to take the box when she heard the doors to the chamber open and felt the warmth of light on the back of her neck as the dark space was illuminated. The big Oni and the other demons hissed and cowered to the cover of the shadows to escape the light emanating from the doorway. Cleopatra turned around to see, of all people, the one she'd least expected. Nahini, dressed in her fire-glowing armor, stepped into the space, carrying a long sword with a golden eagle hilt, walked into the chamber. The demons of the underworld could not bear to look upon the brilliance of her form. Cleopatra was the only one to bear the light of her unsubdued radiance. She could feel the pulse of Nahanin's power on her own throat, and she was wrapped suddenly, as always, by the comfortable whelming of Nahanin's warm presence, embracing her even before they touched. Nahanin looked at Cleopatra. The blood spilled, the sword in her hand and the dagger on the floor. She'd beaten them all, and she was beautiful as ever. Nahini knew when she looked at this woman that it was not the shy Elaine who stood with her head high. This was Cleopatra of House Omoya. Nahini, Cleopatra said, and Nahini looked at the box in Cleopatra's hands. You haven't earned no swords. Cleopatra raised a brow. Haven't I? Nahini shook her head slowly. Your strength was tested against everyone but the strongest of this realm, Nahini said, before drawing her own sword, crimson bladed from its jeweled sheath. You cannot expect me to fight you, Nahini, Cleopatra said, and Nahini was all seriousness when she replied. Those swords belong in the hands of someone powerful enough to wield them and to protect them. If you could defeat me, then you deserve them. If not, then I'll keep them. Cleopatra drew in a breath, looking over the face of the spirit who she loved so much and at that same moment wanted to hate. You know the swords are my way back. You take that from me? This isn't about you or me. It's about the laws of fate, the rules of order. Sure not, Henny. I'm sure it has nothing to do with you wanting to keep me from resurrecting so I could stay here with you, Cleopatra said, and for a second, Nahini's eyes softened. Would that really be so bad? 
Cleopatra's heart was meant to jump out her chest. Why was not Henny making this harder than it had to be? No, not Henny. It wouldn't be bad at all. It would probably be so sweet and calm and peaceful and safe. But I know, as well as you do, that's not my destiny, she said. And not Henny, rebellious to the end, said, then prove it. She lifted her sword to the box holding Nikonakin's blades. Don't leave me here with any regrets for how I couldn't get you to stay. Fight me with all your might and I'll do the same as you did with the three. Fight me and we'll know for certain which path is your destiny. Cleopatra shook with the tears streaming her cheeks and she turned around, pressing her hand to her stomach and taking a deep breath. She sheathed Mamushi's sword and clipped her red dagger back at her hip before she placed the box on the floor and drew the swords. One hilt longer than the other, she felt the star energy inside of them and by her will they ignited two curved blades of a longer and shorter length of glowing and shifting light. Nahemi thought again that Cleopatra was more beautiful than any woman she'd ever seen. Without warning, Nahemi bound forward swinging her sword with full force, releasing tendrils of flame that arced out and caught on the walls of the room. Cleopatra leaned back out the sword's reach and swung the saw swords to match Nahini's force with her... Ooh, Lord, hold up. <laughs> Cleopatra leaned back out the sword's reach and swung the saw swords to match Nahini's force with her own as the demon scrambled from the spreading fire. She blocked and pivoted, spun and blocked channeling all her strength which was left to counter Nahani's heavy blows. The sun spirit was fighting to keep Cleopatra in the underworld, and Cleopatra was fighting to get out of it. The blazing fire of the space reflected the torrent of their emotions raging. Nahani held back none of her spiritual power, and Cleopatra moved with the lioness's speed, fighting harder and better the more Nahani tried to force her into submission. The two swords, one long and the other short, made for a good maneuverability as she could ignite and retract the blades of energy at will. She moved like a twister until she found her opening and she brought the long blade whizzing through the air. She stopped it, a mere millimeter from Nahini's throat. Nahini paused. They'd been about to raise their sword, but weren't fast enough. She registered the heat of the star sword and looked into Cleopatra's eyes. Cleopatra had won, and she took shallow breaths with her whole body pulsing. Nahini's fierceness left her eyes as her expression suddenly became one of acceptance. The sun spirit had been beaten fairly and justly by the sheer force of Cleopatra's power. She lowered her sword in consent, and Cleopatra retracted the star sword's blades before she felt her strength slipping from her body. She was spent, and at once she felt the energy leave her body and she went faint. She registered a flash of visions after that, Nahini lifting her up into her arms. Then Nahini's change into an eagle, cradling Cleopatra in her talons. The sight of the big Oni's tower in flames, disintegrating and plummeting from the curve of the serpent's rib cage. There was a long time of darkness after that, and when her eyes opened again, she was lying in the bed, 
her bed at the temple of Omaya. The room smelled of frankincense, and she registered the feel of a hand grazing her scalp gently. She turned to meet the eyes of Nahemi at her bedside, wearing a black tank top and sweatpants. Cleopatra narrowed her eyes and said, Okay, I'm sorry. Cleopatra narrowed her eyes and said, I beat you. Nahani laughed and nodded her head bittersweetly. <laughs> yeah, you did. Nahani stood and went to the coffee table to bring back some herb tea for Cleopatra to drink. Cleopatra pushed herself up on sore arms before noticing the star swords on the nightstand. She done it. She really done it. She took the tea from Nahani and drank, and the sun spirit sat at the edge of the bed. Nahani took a deep breath because she knew these were some of the last moments they'd share like this. I'm sorry, she said, and Cleopatra looked at her for a second before saying, You have nothing to be sorry for. I tried to keep you here. Part of me wanted you to succeed. That's why it was so damn scary when you walked through that door, Cleopatra said, and Nahani laughed, looking away. Cleopatra placed down the teacup and shifted close to Nahani, resting her head on her rounded shoulder, reaching for her hand, covered in tattoos as was all her exposed skin from her face, down her neck, and across her arms and back. Can I tell you something? Nahini said, and Nahini asked, and Cleopatra consented with her awaiting silence. Nahini went on. I'm afraid to let you go, but my love for you overrides that fear, so I'll let you fly, Redbird. But you just remember. Cleopatra was already shedding tears. Shifting to wrap her arms around Nahani, who thumbed her shoulders and stroked her fingers through her locks. When the sun rises, I'll be looking for your smile in the light. When the cardinals sing, I'm sending you love letters. When you think no one loves you or wants you, know that I won't stop. I won't forget. I won't lose this feeling for as long as you live and probably for ages after. I'm going to hold you so deep in my heart that if you can find no other home, there will always be one for you within my temple, always warmth for you through my fire, always shining onto your crops and your trees. I'll always send a bit of extra love to your seeds. Don't think just because you're not giving me what I want that I'm going to stop loving you. Because it's by that very insistence to do as you damn well please in spite of me or anybody else that makes my heart beat for you in the softest way. When I have to be tough with everyone else, I know your heart is the safe space for my tender prayers. I got a little ungrateful. Sick to have to let you go back. But I can't say I don't feel blessed for the time we've had here. Cleopatra rose and held Nahani's face in her hands. It was a good time, right? And Cleopatra laughed her tears and rolled her eyes. The best. 
She and Nahini kissed long and deep, and their hands ran all up and down each other, shifting from firm presses to soft grazes. Nahini kissed her neck, and Cleopatra arched at the lick of fire. Her breath hitched with climax before the long rest, and it was some time in the night when Nahini leaned over Cleopatra sleeping so peacefully and kissed her once on the chin, once on the cheek, and finally on her forehead. And just like that, Cleopatra was sent coursing through the portal, like riding a boat down a lazy stream into a bright light.